Welcome to Dynasty Theory, your source for everything Dynasty fantasy football. With your host, John Bauer. I'm looking to sell everybody price-dependent. Dan LaMagna. Too much dysfunction in Cleveland. And Mitch Sorensen. Well, it's hard to compete with excellence. Welcome to another episode of Dynasty Theory. Once again, we are live on Twitter and YouTube. I'm your host, John Bauer. You can find me on Twitter at The Bauer Club. And make sure you follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Dynasty Theory FF. Of course, I am joined by Dan Lamagna. That is at FF Coach Dan on Twitter. What's going on, Dan? How are you hanging in there? Super stoked tonight, guys. We got one of our uh, guests from one of my favorite pods joining us. And then after that, I'll wrap up the last episode of Tiger King and call it a night. So let's go. How do you like it so far? It's pretty wild. Uh, you know, it's gone viral here. It's all we kind of hear about. And actually found out that Joe Exotic sold a tiger to a local zoo in the Scranton area about four years ago. So small world. They should have put that on the show. I don't think they showed too much of Scranton in the, the documentary. And then we're also joined by Mitch Sorensen. That's at DinoMC on Twitter. What is up, Mitch? What's up, guys? I'm just happy to have this little getaway and talk about some football. How are your 2020 projections coming? I know you you keep yelling at me to work on them. I, did you finish them? All of them, but like I didn't finish the Patriots or the Chargers, just teams that we really don't, don't know what's going on quarterback yet. I haven't done them yet. Yeah. Don't worry. I'll get to it, though. Once I move, I, I'll get to them. Don't worry. Before we introduce our guests, get your reviews in for a chance to win an autographed Saquon Barkley jersey. Just DM us a screenshot of your review to our Twitter or Instagram account at Dynasty Theory FF for a chance to win. And then also, we're now partnering with Fanatics. We have our link up on Instagram and Twitter for up to 60% off site-wide. Make sure if you're looking for any sports gear, you check that out. Tonight, we are joined by the editor-in-chief at FanDuel and Number Fire, the host of the Late Round Podcast and Living the Stream. And I'm sure you already are, but you can follow him on Twitter at Late Round QB, JJ Zacharyson. What's going on, JJ? Uh, not too much. I uh, I finished Tiger King, so I'm, I'm a little ahead there. Uh Crazy, crazy documentary, though, man. That, that thing is nuts. I binged it. We we started it Saturday night at like 5 or 6 o'clock. We finished it in one night. Yeah. I couldn't stop. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's must-see must television. And as you're watching, it's funny because people, they'll watch one or two episodes. and like, oh, this is so crazy. It's like, it keeps getting crazier. Yeah. And there's yeah. things that you wouldn't expect, and they just keep popping out with the most random things. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> Such a good documentary. But I'm good. I'm good. I'm ready to talk some football. So besides watching Tiger King, how are you hanging in there and during isolation, spending time with the family? What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy. Um, I uh, my my I work from home. I've been working from home for six and a half years now, so I'm used to that side of things. But I'm not used to working from home with my wife also working from home and my 20 month old daughter running around. So it's been it's been a, a little adjustment for me, but I'm sure that's the case for every single person. And I see some people in the chat here. They're saying they haven't watched any of it yet. We won't give any spoilers of Tiger King along the way. So don't, don't you worry. All right. So anyway, let's just jump right into it. With the beginning of free agency behind us, we want to look at what we can expect from a few teams, both in terms of running backs and wide receivers, and some of the ideal landing spots for these rookies with the NFL draft approaching. So we're going to start off with the running backs, leading off with the rookie running back landing spots. Dan, start us off. So let's work from your three down to your two, down to your one, and kind of give some rationale and reasoning. And then, you know, we'll just kind of go back and forth on these. Yeah, John, you challenged us again this week uh, with, with a very interesting category. And I focused on the words, you know, top landing spots, you know, looking at those top areas. And then who's going to, when you say early, I'm looking at who's going to invest early draft capital. 
And then I'm also looking for a little bit of excitement in these picks, you know, as we get ready for our, uh, you know, rookie drafts coming up. So for me, it goes back to last season and watching the Miami Dolphins. When Ryan Fitzpatrick's your leading quarterback, you need a running back. This offseason, they signed Jordan Howard, who, you know, I'm probably a little bit higher on Jordan Howard than you and Mitch from past conversations, but he's by no means going to be a feature back. With Jordan Howard, they will probably need a passing back, and I can see DeAndre Swift being really nice there at number 18. Now, they've got some options. They pick 18, 26, 39, and 56. The question I'll ask all you guys as we're, you know, analyzing these rookie backs is when does that running back first go? How early in the first round does a running back go? How talented is a DeAndre Swift or a Jordan Taylor, depending on who's Jonathan Taylor, who's first on your board? Uh, I could see Miami taking Swift at 18 or Taylor at 26 or maybe do the running back slide to a spot at 39 for them. So that'd be my first team. I think they're desperate for, you know, back of the future. And there's some nice guys on the board. Real quick, you know, JJ, you also have the Miami Dolphins. So obviously your, your mindset is in a similar place. What draws you to Miami? Obviously, you know, Jordan Howard is there. Um, Just like Dan said, he's really not a pass catching back. So with all the early picks they have, I think we would be surprised if they didn't attack the running back position in this deep draft. Yeah, I mean, I think that was that was the main reason for me uh, looking at Miami as a as a landing spot for an early round running back, just because of that draft capital. Um, and you see teams that, uh, you know, I don't think you know my my philosophy and the way that I look at football and and analyze football. I don't think spending early round capital on the running back position is a smart thing, but or smart idea. But I think that that team is gonna likely build a similar way as as what we may almost like what we saw in New England too and how we saw them using a, a Sony Michelle pick just given the the connections to New England there um but when you have three first round picks it sort of reminds me of Oakland last year um and, and we saw with Josh Jacobs going with that third uh first round pick I think that uh, in this class you have a handful of running backs that are arguably better prospects than what Josh Jacobs was coming out last year there were some question marks with Jacobs being an every down guy uh, being able to carry a big workload because he didn't do that in college. Um, and I do think that that you have a, a really interesting case for Miami with them getting Jordan Howard, who hasn't been, who as as uh, Dan alluded to, hasn't been a pass catching back so far uh, throughout his career and likely won't be. Uh, you have a really good pass catching running back class in general, like a really good one. Um, and DeAndre Swift makes a lot of sense to me to go to a place like that, to be sort of that uh, pass catching back plus. You know, obviously he would still see a lot more work on the ground than a, than a guy like Jordan Howard. So I wouldn't be shocked if we only see one running back in the first round and that running back goes 26th overall to Miami and that running back is DeAndre Swift. So you don't think in that situation there's any chance they would take Jonathan Taylor at 26? I mean, I, Jonathan Taylor's my RB1. Uh, like, I, I think he's he's should be considered like a, a Zeke-type prospect. Um, but I don't think teams are seeing it that way. Uh, at least that's what reports are, seem to be saying. So, you know, you got to kind of go by that at this point. You know, even if we feel certain ways about guys and the fantasy community feel certain way about guys, I mean, it's no different than, you know, Tyler Johnson and everyone loving on him because we're a very analytical community. And that's not that's not exactly the way that NFL teams think. So uh, if DeAndre Swift is the RB1 to a lot of NFL teams, then I'm going to lean that way as opposed to going with Jonathan Taylor. Right. And I think that's very important. You touched on it that within the fantasy community, whether it's redraft or dynasty, we always have our fantasy hats on. Whereas we really should be looking more at it from a real life NFL perspective at times. 
and listen to what these coaches and scouts are saying. And like you said, if DeAndre Swift is the running back one in this class, we might have to, I don't want to say completely adjust our rankings because I know it's very uh, Jonathan Taylor friendly and favored in the dynasty community, but maybe we have to look more at DeAndre Swift, especially if he lands in a situation like Miami where I know a lot of people see it as not the best landing spot. And they might point to last year where the workload for the running backs wasn't there, but look at who your running backs were. You know, you're not going to run the ball in that situation. But then with having Jordan Howard there, what do you guys think in this Dan or JJ about maybe like a Clyde Edwards Hilaire at 56? I I think that makes more sense from a team building perspective. So it wouldn't shock me there. But I I think that, you know, citing Miami as a team that would spend an early round pick is really just playing probability here because they have so many early round picks in general. And we know that it's a it's a position of need. I mean, again, I mean, you can you can talk about value in the running back position all day long, um, but it is still a need and teams are going to build around those needs in some way. Uh, And we saw last year, you can make the argument that they had probably the worst running back depth chart in the NFL after they got rid of Kenyon Drake. So I think it makes a lot of sense for them to spend a a pick there. If they can get CEH at 56, I I think that's a slam dunk pick as well. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do with all that early draft capital. And I know when they take a running back, the running backs don't matter crowd. They're going to have a field day, even though when you look at it, they have so many picks there. Uh, Dan, you already started talking about Tampa Bay. So why don't you move on to them? Yeah, I came out of the gates excited here, as you can tell. <laughs> so, you know, but you guys are setting me up with some great points. And I think the Buccaneers are another team that a running back looks very attractive on. You know, I know Ronald Jones is there and there is some potential there. Um, but I could see him taking a back, stealing either the job from Rojo or, as I mentioned before, Coach Arians is on record of them needing a pass catching back. Now, to JJ's point, I don't see him using their early pick, you know, the early draft capital number 14. I think you have Tom Brady coming in town and they're going to want to protect him. Uh, there's a couple of good linemen that'll probably go before number 14, but I don't see them passing up someone like uh, Andrew Thomas, who is protecting DeAndre Swift at tackle. I think he'd be a nice fit in Tampa. But then when they swing back to the second round at number 45, if a Jonathan Taylor was to slide that far, I think they'd be excited. If not, maybe a J.K. Dobbins or you mentioned Clyde Edwards he Lair would be nice fits there in Tampa Bay. And this is what we heard all about last offseason. Going into the draft, oh, they're going to take somebody because it was one of the premier landing spots. Same with Kansas City. But then it didn't happen. So, again, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. And, Mitch, you don't have Tampa Bay in your top three landing spots. JJ has them. Obviously, Dan has them. So what sticks out to you and why did you not include them in your top three? A big part of it was Bruce Arians came out. Yeah, I, I tried to find the quote, but I couldn't find it. it. Is it was like last August he came out and said that they're never going to spend really high draft equity on a running back because of what he saw David Johnson able to do with his. I think he came out in the third round in Arizona, and you know because he was being asked last year, are they going to pick up Le'Veon Bell? Are they going to do this? Are they going to do that? And he ended up saying that he just doesn't believe in spending that equity in a running back. And he came out already, I think it was this week, and came out and said that they're going to look for a pass-catching back, which kind of tells me they kind of already have Ronald Jones. They think he's going to at least be their main power back now, which I think fits Ronald Jones okay. And I just think they're going to end up sticking with him a little bit more than what we might think. Now, let's say they use that 76th overall pick on a running back. You don't think that's somebody that can take over? Let's Maybe that is a J.K. Dobbins. You wouldn't take preferred Dobbins in that spot over Jones? They could, but I think they're going to use a lot more of that draft capital on offensive line talent right now because they have to protect Brady. They can't let 
I don't have the stats pulled up, but I know Winston just got hammered last year. I think he had over 50 sacks, right? And it was around that, there, yeah. If that happens to Brady, Brady's not going to make it through the whole year. Come on, Mitch, though. You know JB's trying to rib you here and get you going on a Rojo argument there. Is, you know, he thinks someone's going to take his job, whoever Tampa Bay drafts. Yeah, I, don't matter. It doesn't matter who's back there. He'll be fine. I'm going to side with JJ and Dan on this one. No offense, Mitch, but you know, maybe it's time that you and I start disagreeing a little bit because I do think Tampa Bay goes with a running back here. And whether it's 45 or 76th overall, I th- I'm going to put my money on them taking over that backfield over Ronald Jones. And then, Dan, you, you have the Los Angeles Rams on your list as well as a top three running back destination here in 2020. This was a difficult one, and you, and you yelled at me at my show notes earlier in the week because I had like a, a tie for third with four teams as I was trying to decipher who would be best for the show. But I landed with the Rams. Again, looking at a top landing spot with early capital, I could see the Rams at number 52 looking for someone to either go with Daryl Henderson as a one-two punch as they've been you know, used to having you know, some depth and some multiple backs where, you know, after Gurley's workhorse days were gone and someone better than a Malcolm Brown. I think a J.K. Dobbins or maybe a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire again would be pretty exciting in a Sean McVay offense. And I think we're still a little bit uncertain on how good Daryl Henderson is. Now, I, you know, past shows, I I talked him up a little bit there. I, I would buy him right now in, in dynasty drafts. But I could definitely see that being an exciting uh, landing spot where you can get a nice one-two punch. Well, I'm glad JJ is here because I want to get a varying opinion here. So on a previous show, Mitch, Dan, and myself, we dove into Daryl Henderson. and We really talked about what we saw his situation to be in 2020 with Todd Gurley leaving in free agency to Atlanta. What are your thoughts on Daryl Henderson, whether it's from a short or longer term perspective? Do you think there's any chance he's the lead back in that backfield here in 2020? I think he's going to be the 1A. Uh, I don't think that he's going to get a Todd Gurley-sized workload. I mean, he didn't even do that in college, really. He was, he's more the, the efficiency type back. Um, and really, that's what we've been seeing out of a lot of those guys out of Memphis of late. But I you know, I like Henderson, the player. I liked him a lot coming out uh, last year. I was surprised, actually, borderline shocked that they didn't use him or you know, they used him as much as they did. He was banged up, though, at times last year, too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to see this like Todd Gurley RB1 type workload, but I think he can be a serviceable RB2. See that, boys? JJ Zachary's in right there. 1A, 1B, <laughs> that fits the profile I gave tonight. Here, I got to see how I could remove JJ from the show here. <laughs> um, you know, so in Dynasty, JJ, what would you, in terms of 2020 draft picks, and we play a lot of super flex. So sure. if you want to throw it out from a super flex perspective or just one quarterback, what would you be comfortable paying for Daryl Henderson today? Um, I probably wouldn't. I mean, I, I, I think that the, the one piece with Henderson is that if you're playing the market, I, I mean, there's still downside involved there because they could realistically go out and draft someone. They could realistically, like, like, like I said, I don't think that he's going to be a workhorse either. Um, so I wouldn't be like giving a first for him or anything this year. Um, so, you know, I think what, what you know, you see that drop off in super flex, uh, in rookie drafts and sort of like the early to mid second. Um, and if you can somehow swing one of those picks and, and get them, I think it makes sense. But I don't think I, I, I think someone who has Daryl, this is, this is one of those hypotheticals where if someone has Daryl Henderson, they likely love Daryl Henderson because they drafted him last year. Like he's not someone that's really going to be moving that much in leagues, I would argue. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough situation. The other thing too, is I've done a study on, uh, how rookies per, or how, how players perform during their rookie seasons, uh, and, and what that means for their for their future in, in fantasy football. 
And Daryl Henderson uh, and the amount of fantasy points he scored last year, uh, if you look at successful running backs in the NFL, the vast majority of them scored more fantasy points than Daryl Henderson during their rookie seasons. So there is that downside as well. And, and really, you know, the logic behind that is if you're a good football player, you find the field. And if Daryl Henderson was really, really good, they would have tried to find a way to get him on the field more last year. So there is some hesitation there for me uh, with Henderson. But, you know, if you were to ask me this a year ago, I, I love Daryl Henderson. I mean, I thought he was a really good prospect. Yeah, and you talked about the, kind of his usage in Memphis, and it seems like that is a common theme there. You look at Tony Pollard, and it's kind of a similar situation yep. where the the lack of usage or you know maybe an Antonio Gibson or whoever it is. But I, I'm not a huge fan of Daryl Henderson, just like you talked about. If he was good enough, he would have found the field last yep. year. And with a batter and bruised Todd Gurley, who in the dynasty community, he was left for dead last year, he wasn't finding the field. So it's definitely going to be something to keep our eyes on. And I want to let you guys know, I threw this list up on Instagram earlier today, and I knew it wasn't going to take long, but none of you included the Kansas City Chiefs. And that was one of the, that was the first comment I got. And pretty much he, the comment was like, seriously, no Chiefs. And I said, well, that's if you think they're going to take a running back in the first three rounds. So Mitch, I, the, the village Damien Williams truther, you're still on board and you, uh, apparently you don't think the Chiefs are going to take a running back early. I don't okay. They could, you know, but I just think the three teams I listed have a better opportunity to do it. I mean, if Kansas City uses a high draft pick on a running back, that draft pick is going to jump up everybody's boards. Whether they should or not, it's what's just going to happen. And so I didn't think listing them was a big deal because everyone knows if a running back gets drafted to Kansas City, they're just going to jump up draft boards that much more. And then, Dan, did you keep them off of your board just because you don't think they take a running back? Similar to Mitch, I don't see him using that early draft capital. It kind of seemed like the chalky pick to take the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I think if you asked me during last year, I would have had them in that category like Miami. But Damian Williams finished strong. And as you know, in a previous pod, when we had Justin from the Father-Son uh, podcast on with us, I made a little plea for Darwin Thompson. I just think to give him the ball in the Super Bowl on fourth and or whatever short yardage on the goal line there showed some faith in that man. And he, he's got some speed. So and he did later trade me him in a dynasty league. So he was good to his word. I'll put that on record here on the pod. Uh, so I'm going to you know bank on D. Will and Darwin Thompson and think the Chiefs are going to use their early draft capital, you know, on other areas of need versus running back. I don't know if you want to admit to people that you willingly paid for Darwin Thompson, but hey, that's <laughs> I only anyway. traded. I traded Demarcus Robinson and a fourth round pick. I can live with that. Live all right, that, that's very fine. minimal. We'll allow it. Um, Mitch, you kind of have a surprising team here at number three, the New Orleans Saints. What are your thoughts there? I do. I don't think they're going to end up using their first round pick because it's number twenty four. But I could see them using the eighty eighth because the problem with the Saints is they're always right against the salary cap. And I think Kamara is an extremely likely holdout candidate this year. He's only made, including this year, he'll only make $5 million total. And this is the last year of his deal. I think there's a really good chance he holds out if he doesn't get a new contract moving into this year. They could cut Latavius Murray for under $2 million in dead cap next year. So I think that's a decent possibility as well. And with them probably going from Breeze to Taysom Hill within the next couple of years, I think the odds are they're going to keep being a running team that they've always been under Sean Payton. And I think it's a pretty good possibility that they end up using that third round pick on someone like Keyshawn Vaughn or, you know, Benjamin, just to shore up the back end of that depth. 
Okay. And then your number one spot here, it's kind of telling. So, you know, I'll let you dive into it, but you have to be thinking then that Derrick Henry, maybe he's elsewhere in 2021 with you having the Tennessee Titans as your number one realistic top rookie running back landing spot. No, actually, I expect Henry to still be there. It's just they have no one behind him. Okay. And if there's a chance that he does hold out, because they have to have someone. I think there's a chance where they could get someone like Devontae Freeman, because I think he would fit perfect there behind Henry. But it just depends on how much Freeman wants to get paid this year. But I think there's a really good chance the Titans use either the 61st or the 93rd pick on a running back, because they don't have anybody after Henry. And even Henry, you know, needs to be off the field at some point. JJ, what are your thoughts here? Because I know there's a lot of talk about Derrick Henry and is he going to sit out here? You know, he was franchise tagged. What are your thoughts on Derrick Henry here in 2020? Um, just in terms of if he's going to play or if he's going to, if he's a, a worthwhile fantasy asset. Uh, I mean, look, we're going to see regression from Derrick Henry uh, for sure. I think that that Tennessee fans and the Titans in general are in for somewhat of a rude awakening uh, when, when, uh, things sort of of become more realistic. You know, I, I had a, a chart that I had tweeted before the AFC championship game. Uh, and, and I looked at the amount of uh, red zone trips that every team had from when Ryan Tannehill took over through the divisional round of the playoffs. And the Titans had scored 32 touchdowns to one field. I think it was 32 touchdowns to one field goal in the red zone uh, across that time. So it was like a 32 ratio. The number two team there was Carolina at like a four ratio. Uh, it was, it's just unbelievable how efficient and how fortunate they were. Um, I just, you know, a, a team running that good and, and having, a uh, the, the running back do what he did, you know, there are stretches where running backs can matter. And I think that's what the stretch was for Derrick Henry this past year. I, I don't think that he was a completely irrelevant asset. Uh, but at the same time, it's not sustainable at all to, to run an offense that way. Uh, and if we see that this season, then we could, there could be some question marks as to what happens to Derrick Henry after this season. So uh, I think that there's a lot of risk, whether you're buying Henry, whether you're drafting him in a startup or, um, you know, I think to, to Mitch's point too, I, I, I could see them drafting one if they're thinking a little bit longer term, because I, I don't think, I, I think it's a very, very naive way of thinking if, if they think that Derrick Henry is just going to stick around and they're going to be good with Derrick Henry running that offense again. He must have a crystal ball on the shelf there for Mitch, though, because because these are supposed to be top landing spots that JB gave us. Come on, Mitch. These aren't top landing spots. You're, you're hoping for a holdout here. See, for Derek. me, it's a, it, it's a top landing spot. Forget about the holdout, but from a dynasty perspective, if Derrick Henry's not there beyond 2020. So I kind of like where Mitch's head was there. And another one, I was kind of surprised, you know, looking at the three of your lists here, that none of you have the Baltimore Ravens. And I kind of want to pick your brains on that. And... Dan, I want your thoughts really quickly. Mark Ingram, he's under contract until, you know, uh, 2022. So we're going to see him for the next two years. But there's a minimal dead cap here after the 2020 season. And do you think they ride it out with Ingram? It seems like a lot of people with the Ravens draft capital, they're excited about the chance at landing a running back to kind of complement Justice Hill there longer term. I think the Ravens are in win now mode. I think they do ride out Ingram for at least one more year. I think they like Justice Hill as well. As of now, Gus Edwards is still on the roster, so they do have some depth. So I didn't see that as a landing spot that excited me at this time. You know, maybe, you know, a podcast a year from now, it's a different tune, but that one didn't excite me as much. I think they're win now and not looking at this year's draft for running back. 
See, this is why I didn't do my own list because obviously the ones that I had laid out, nobody liked. So I was like, I'll, I'll <laughs> leave these out. Um, and then JJ, you, you know, we already talked about the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers a little bit. We touched on the Dolphins. You have the Atlanta Falcons on the list, this list. And I absolutely love that. So at least I'd be one for three here on my list. But share your thoughts on the Falcons. You know, they just brought in Todd Gurley here, but it's a one-year deal. Right. So, you know, I think we all believe that they might attack the running back position here. Yeah, I mean, that's really it. If you look at the contract, one-year deal, it's not, I mean, they're only, I think they're giving them $5 million. Uh, it, it's really a, a team-friendly contract. I think some of that probably has to do with Gurley returning to Georgia, and it's more of like a brand move in a way for Gurley. I, I think he's going to be used, and I think that, that he should be fine from a fantasy perspective, but I think it's risky to, to look beyond this one year with Gurley. Um, and Atlanta, as a roster, they're not built poorly. They're not a it's not a horrible team, um, and they're in a very competitive division, obviously. Um, so I, I could see them just snagging that running back to to uh, even even get better depth because we saw the depth wasn't very strong last year. So I just think it's a a, a fairly obvious landing spot, and they have the capital early to to be able to do it. And I pray that they focus more on that offensive line. I know there were injuries preseason last year, but on my dynasty teams, I have a lot, a lot of Matt Ryan, a lot of Julio Jones, a lot of Calvin Ridley. So I'm praying that they spend some capital there and even, you know, look to improve that offensive line. But just like you said, I don't think Ito Smith, Brian Hill, you know, our boy from Pitt, Quadriolis, and I don't yeah. think they're the answer there behind Todd Gurley. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him. I would assume they try to run him into the ground here on the one-year deal, but who knows? But from a dynasty perspective, I think it's going to be kind of like a, a Nick Chubb to Cleveland situation where I don't want to say he drastically dropped on pe down people's draft boards, but because there was Duke Johnson and Carlos Hyde, people thought his ceiling was limited. Maybe we see a running back go to Atlanta and he does slide down the rookie draft boards just a little bit because people want that really immediate short-term impact. Yeah, I could see like a Cam Akers going to mm -hmm. going to Atlanta. Yep, and I, you know, I we actually talked about that on a previous show. So if Cam Akers goes to Atlanta and he slips anywhere, one hundred eight, one hundred nine, one ten, yeah. I will be absolutely thrilled. Whether yeah. it's one quarterback or super flex, so um, you know, so those are the running back positions situations that we're looking at here. And obviously, there were some other top ideal landing spots, but clearly, we just didn't see them attacking the running back position early on in the draft with the draft capital they had available. So it's going to be, I keep saying it's going to be interesting to see because, you know, hopefully this NFL draft, I'm looking at the calendar here. We're less than a month away. I hope everything stays on schedule because I think we need the NFL draft more now than we ever did, especially with all the stuff going on. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> all right. So let's go on to the wide receivers here. And this, there were some varying opinions here. And I like this because when I posed the question to all three of you, you gave me your list separately. So there was no, oh, well, JJ picked this, I'm going to pick this, or Dan picked this, I'm going to try to avoid that just to have a counterpoint. So you all gave me different teams and you didn't get to see what the other two picked. So JJ, right off the bat, you and Dan actually have the same top pick here, the Las Vegas Raiders. Why do you see this as an ideal landing spot for wide receivers? Uh, I mean, you you have a, a depth chart that's definitely lacking uh, in in Oakland or sorry Vegas right now. I that, I will never get used to that. Uh, you have a, you have a depth I'm chart that's in the San Diego Chargers. So yeah, right, right. <laughs> Uh, you have a depth chart that's severely lacking. Uh, I know they got Ag Aguilar. Um, I don't even know how he's going to really fit in with, with Hunter Renfro there in the slot. 
you, you just really need something on the outside. And they have two top 20 picks in this draft. So they have an opportunity to get a Judy or even get a, a CD lamb, whoever's there. Um, I, I think that they of, of all teams are probably the biggest lock to get a wide receiver in the first round uh, because of both the fact that they absolutely need one and they have those, those top picks. Um, you know, I think that they want to see too, you know, if they can get something more out of, out of Derek Carr um, because that's been a big question mark as well. And if you give the a quarterback more weapons, then, then you're going to uh, definitely have a more definitive feel as to whether he's not, whether or not he's the future or not, which he's not, but you know, they're going to, they're going to figure that out. And obviously they have Mariota there now too, if they, uh, you know, if something happens to card and they're going to get more out of Mariota or they're going to see if they have something out of Mariota, then all of a sudden though, you have assets. Anytime you have quarterback assets like that and they show up, you can do something with those assets in terms of getting value. So I, I just think Vegas is a, a lock to get a wide receiver in the first round. So I had a follow-up question. You kind of touched on it already. You don't see Derek Carr as the long-term answer. And in terms of super flex leagues, especially if it's 14 or 16 team <clears throat> leagues where there's so much scarcity there at the position, the million dollar question there in Vegas is, is Derek Carr the quarterback here in 2020? Do you think he gets first crack at it? Do you think it's Mariota? Do you think they look at another quarterback in the draft? What are your thoughts on that? The, the really strange thing about, and this this kind of extends to Matthew Stafford too, uh, just because of the rumors that were, the, the crazy rumors that were going on with Stafford this offseason. Uh, Derek Carr is coming off arguably his best season of his career. And it's it's strange because everyone's talking about Derek Carr being horrible um, and them, them not wanting him to be, uh, their franchise caller, a signal caller, but he had a, a really efficient season for, for within the context of Derek Carr's career. And he did that with his, his true number one leaving camp uh, and not being part of the team and him, his number one wide receiver being Tyrell Williams. And he's thrown to a, a tight end who was out of the league the year prior. I mean, it, it's a, it's a wild situation when you think about it, how, how, relatively well Derek Carr played given all these all, all the circumstances so I, I think that's a reason to at least you know be somewhat bullish on Carr I think at the very least he's going to be the starter to, to open up the season for for Vegas you know how he performs and if they do get a wide receiver then he's probably gonna be on a little bit of a shorter leash because he has more weapons and there's not as many excuses uh, but I think Carr is is going to be the guy I think he's serviceable enough I just don't think that he's the the true future you know I don't think he's ever going to be in that that top 10 to 15 range. You talked about this being one of his most productive years. And uh, statistically speaking, you know what people are going to point to? Well, his average depth of target was one of the lowest in the league. Yeah, right. And you get that argument all the time when it comes to Derek Carr in 2019. Yeah, it always, I mean, Derek Carr has been that way for the, for the, for his whole career, really. I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't been at someone who's been really aggressive at throwing the ball down the field. But at the end of the day, if he's showing efficiency and if he's getting that efficiency, that's that's really what matters. It doesn't matter how it's being accumulated, per se. And I had this argument. If you have Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro as your top receiving yeah. options, your average depth of target's going to be low. Yeah, Dan, you also have the Las Vegas Raiders here, number one. Do you kind of share your same thoughts there that you don't see a situation where the Raiders don't attack the wide receiver position? Yeah, I think it's one of the most exciting spots, you know, excited to see Vegas in their new stadium. And, you know, they're looking for that Antonio Brown replacement. I think the big question is, do they take that receiver at 12 or 19? It goes back to JJ's points about the Dolphins. There's a little extra, you know, draft capital here. So you're, you're playing the prob probability. I kind of see them going with a CD lamb at 12. I just kind of have that feeling. Some of the reports I'm reading 
Or, you know, do they lock down the corner position, take a C.J. Henderson and, and wait a little bit to 19? Uh, I like Judy more than Lamb, but I just kind of get that feeling that I, I could see Lamb going there to Vegas at 12. And what a completion to that offense with Tyrell Williams, with Renfro, with Waller. Uh, that could be a fun group to watch. Dan, you always bring up defense, and we don't care about defense here. I always hate when teams improve their defense. Like the Falcons, you can get rid of all of your defensive players. I want to see you light up the scoreboard. It's the coach of me coming out, and it all ties together. We're connecting the dots here. The defensive significance is, you know, when the receiver goes for us, 12 or 19. Cut me some slack, JB, will you? I got to give you a hard time. You know that. And Mitch, so we're going right to your top team here because you kind of had a change of heart here. You gave me your, your landing spots here. You had the 49ers, Vikings, and the number one Philadelphia Eagles. But you said you kind of did a 180. So what are your thoughts here on the Philadelphia Eagles getting a wide receiver in the NFL draft? I think I completely whiffed on not having the Raiders there. Now that hearing you guys talk because <laughs> But this is heard, exactly why I wanted you guys to give me your list separately. So it kind of worked out. Yeah, it worked out well because this whole offseason, I'd be like, the Eagles need a wide receiver. The Eagles need a wide receiver. And – Looking it up, I don't think they really need a wide receiver in the first round anymore because I thought Justin Jefferson would be a perfect fit there at 21. But the problem is the Eagles actually run the most 12 personnel in the league at 54% on passing plays. And I think that's only going to go up with the tight ends that they have. They already have Deshaun Jackson, who has a $12.5 million dead cap. They have Alshon Jeffrey, who has like a $20 million dead cap, and you don't see anybody trading for that contract. So unless one of those guys get injured, I don't see a rookie being able to get on the field for enough to have any fantasy value this year. And that's my biggest worry is we get another JJ, our second white side, even though he got on the field more because of injuries last year, he still wasn't able to produce. And I worry that the same thing's going to happen this year if they draft a rookie, you know, in that first round or second round. Mitch, you brought up J.J. Orsega-Whiteside, and speaking of J.J., J.J., I want to pick your brain here for a second because going into rookie drafts last year, J.J. Orsega-Whiteside, Paris Campbell, they weren't really, I don't want to say they weren't talked about when it comes to the wide receivers, but it seemed like they really rose in rookie drafts because of their landing spots. You know, you have the Eagles where J.J. Orsega-Whiteside, people kind of saw him as next Alshon Jeffrey, the same kind of prototype, and then Paris Campbell landed in a great situation seemingly because you had Andrew Luck. So my question for you is you look at these wide receivers, especially how much are you willing to change your pre-draft evaluation based on landing spots? Uh, with wide receiver less. So I will say last year, I think was a little bit different in letting landing spot influence the way that we felt about wideouts because the position was really flat. I felt uh, just from, from a, uh, as, as they were prospects, you know, I, there, there weren't guys that really, really stood out. I did think Nikhil Harry stood out, uh, but at, you know, generally speaking, that wide receiver class was just fairly flat. You know, there weren't these like studs throughout. So I, I, I let landing spot influence things a little bit more than it should have, and I, I, I regret that. But um, you know, guys like like JJ Arcega Whiteside and Paris Campbell, uh, you know, where we're at now with them. Uh, again, I'll reference the same study that I talked about earlier with the rookie running backs. I did it with wide receivers as well. If there's a wide receiver that doesn't produce in year one and he wasn't injured, uh, which is what we basically saw with our Sega Whiteside, there was some injury to Paris Campbell and Nikhil Harry. So you can at least hold on to that if you have any hope for those guys to, to perform. Uh, but the one thing that, that, you know, of the players, of the successful wide receivers in the NFL today, 
uh, of the ones who didn't perform when they were rookies, uh, they were generally later round picks or undrafted picks. And it kind of makes sense because they had to work their way up uh, the depth chart in order to, to show off their skill, or they were late round picks or undrafted picks uh, because they, they didn't necessarily have the talent at that time, or they were like later bloomers. The, the real fear that you have to have is someone with like, like an, a JJ Arcega Whiteside who uh, didn't perform. I uh, didn't have an injury to necessarily say, this is why I didn't perform. And he was an early round pick. Uh, it's, it's a really, really bad combination. And that's why, you know, it's one of those situations where if you have him, I'm, I'm totally for trying to get something for him right now. And absolutely anything. And that's anything. <laughs> I, I was guilty last year. I'll be the first to admit it. I, those are two guys specifically that rose up my draft board. And actually one yeah. of the leagues, it was a 16 team super flex league. There were very vocal Philadelphia Eagles fans and Indianapolis Colts fans in the draft. And I thought I was being so slick. I thought, okay, there's fans in the draft of those teams. I'm going to take them probably earlier than I would have because I could use them as trade bait. It didn't really pan out for me in that situation. I'm going to be honest. Um, all right. So looking at the other wide receiver list here, Dan, you have the San Francisco 49ers coming in uh, number two. You know, is there any concern there? You have Debo Samuel, you have George Kittle, you have a team that wants to run the ball a thousand times a game, or do you think, okay, they bring in some wide receiver talent and maybe they look to open things up a little bit more? I'm excited about this one here. And yeah, hey, it pains me to say it, but the defending NFC champion 49ers, I think to trade uh, DeForest Buckner, who's a stellar D tackle to get this 13th pick. I think they're looking for an offensive weapon for Jimmy G. And I think, Jerry Judy there makes so much sense to have his great route running to complement Debo Samuel, Samuel and George Kittle. You know, they have Kendrick Bourne. I know they signed Travis Benjamin and Trent Taylor. I think those last three names are just depth pieces. Uh, if the Raiders don't snipe them the pick before, I think Jerry Judy is very exciting in Kyle Shanahan's offense. And I think you see Jimmy GQ uh, rise up there with all those weapons next year. You know, it's it's something to look at because you have those running backs and, you know, that depth chart, it seems to be getting long, longer and longer when you look at the running backs. And I have a lot of Jimmy G on my Superflex Dynasty team, so I'm hoping they open it up a little bit. And I do agree with you. It looks like I would think that they are looking to bring in a wide receiver there, especially with Emmanuel Sanders leaving and going to New Orleans. So I actually kind of like that one. Uh, JJ, I'm going to bounce it back over to you. And I really hope this team lands an early wide receiver because we've talked about Sam Darnold so many times. And I think he kind of, he's got a raw deal up to this point. Let, let's forget about the mono last year, but being stuck with Adam Gase, you have the New York Jets here as a top landing spot for a rookie wide receiver. Why is that? Guys, I'll be honest. I've been building, so I've been building projections for years now, right? I At this point in the, in the off season, I don't think I've ever gone through a team's wide receiver depth chart that looks as pitiful as the Jets does right now in my entire life. It's it's the worst depth chart I think I've ever laid my eyes on. It's, it's hey, let, let me ask you real quick, because this is going to be a make or break situation between your relationship with Mitch here. How do you feel about Jamison Crowder? I like Jamison Crowder. I think, right. I think he's fine. Uh, I, well, I mean, he's fine at what he does. I right. mean, he's never going to be anything, you know, amazingly special. Uh, but Jamison Crowder right now is going to see 190 <laughs> targets in his offense the way things are set up. <laughs> I, I mean, like they have like Josh Doxson as their number two right now, essentially. Like it, it is a complete nightmare. Um, and based on that alone, I think they almost are forced to to go wide receiver 
uh, early in this draft. And we have to believe that there's going to be fairly negative game scripts. They're going to be forced to throw. Hopefully they utilize Le'Veon Bell a little bit more out of the backfield and he sees a few more targets than he did last year. But like I said, I really like Sam Darnold moving forward. You look at his, especially just his age and dynasty, but what he was able to do during that stretch last year with minimal weapons. I know he had Robbie Anderson still, but when your two options are Robbie Anderson, Jamison Crowder, you know, we're looking for them to add weapons. So I, again, I really hope you are right for my Sam Darnold chairs that they attack that position early on. JB, I struggle with that a little bit. The Jets were definitely one I considered. And, you know, picking at number 11, that would be attractive. I know the Jets fans would love it. They did sign Brashad Perryman, who I think could be a sneaky play, although they only signed him yeah, for a one-year one year deal, which doesn't encourage me as much as I'd like. My disdain for Adam Gase and uh, the dysfunction of the Jets, I could see them passing at 11, taking an O-lineman, because I think their O-lineman, I think Mitch noted this last week, is just as bad as their receivers core, J.J. And so the only reason I didn't pick them is I didn't think they'd use first-round draft capital on it, but – they I think it's fair. You, JJ. No, I mean, Maybe they're doing, they're, they're trying to do more right now. I mean, you see them constantly looking at, at uh, offensive linemen. They were looking at them in free agency and such too. Um, you know, the Perriman thing, it depends on how you feel about him in general as a, as a player. I think, you know, he's fine. He can probably fill that Robbie Anderson role. Um, you know, whenever I mentioned Josh Docks and I did forget about Prashad Perriman signing there. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I look at that depth chart and it's just, it's frighteningly bad, frighteningly bad. What are you all going to do when Josh Doxson puts up a thousand yards here in 2020? We're going to look back at the show and think, oh, we should have known. We should have known. I mean, I went on the host here. I went on a show last year and I was asked about Devonte Parker and I just now waved the question and I look like a moron now. So that maybe, <laughs> maybe Josh Doxson is this year's uh, Devonte Parker. You should have seen that fifth year breakout coming. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Right. All right. And then uh, Mitch, you and Dan both have this team, but it's a team that I would be shocked if they didn't spend early draft capital. They acquired, acquired additional early draft capital here in the trade with Stefan Diggs to the Buffalo bills, but you have the Minnesota Vikings. I didn't. My worry with them was we know they run a lot of 12 personnel as well, but the difference is the rookie coming in has to beat out BC Johnson, who's a seventh round draft pick from last year. So there is, they spend high draft capital on a rookie wide receiver. They're going to be able to, he's going to have a good chance to start. And we've seen that Cousins will pepper Thielen and Diggs. So I think there's a good chance that happens with the rookie wide receiver as well. And he could be actually more fantasy relevant than most teams drafting a high wide receiver at this point. If you had to guess right now, who goes to Minnesota? I don't think they have a chance at Judy or Lamb. So I would guess maybe Mims or Jefferson. And if, if Jefferson, I have a feeling Jefferson, no matter where he goes, he's going to be high on your rookie draft board here. Yeah, I love him. He's my favorite wide receiver. I mean, he's not my wide receiver one, but he's the one that I'll root for the most going in the league. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've seen it already. I, I know that Just you're a, a big bit. Jefferson fanboy. Um, Dan, yeah, did you have, you have a thought here? Yeah, before you shift, I'd be curious what J.J. thought as far as the, the depth of the Vikings, similar to that of the Jets. When I was looking for this third team, you know, I thought of Denver. I thought of the Eagles that Mitch mentioned. Uh, but with Diggs gone, you know, and watching the Vikings in recent years, they have struggled so much to find someone other than Thielen and Diggs. And now Diggs is gone. I know they've got some, you know, depth at tight end. But when they had Laquan Treadwell, he was terrible. They have OBC Johnson. He just seems average. So I'd be curious on JJ's take there compared to the Jets. And again, law of average, they have the 22nd and 25th yeah. pick. 
so I could see a Mims, you know, if, if the other big receivers are all gone. So I yeah, I mean, I, I should have got, I should have put Minnesota on my list. To be honest, it's it's a it's a great call. Um, I, I think they're gonna they're gonna have to get an outside guy. Um, I do worry a little bit, similar to Philadelphia with with the the twelve personnel uh, issue. Um, we're gonna see a lot of uh, Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith. We saw a lot more, especially when Adam Thielen got hurt last year. That's when we really saw a lot of a, a lot of the two tight end set usage. Um, so, so that's, you know, just another reason why, you know, th- they're going to need someone to play on the outside, someone strong, a bigger bodied guy. And, you know, they, they had that, they had the ability, uh, w- with Stefan Diggs and they're, they're going to need that replacement. Interestingly enough, my, my number one comp for Jerry Judy is Stefan Diggs. So, uh, if we, you know, that, that would be a, a perfect landing spot almost, but there's no way he's going to last to where they're, where they're picking. Most likely not, you know, so let's stay in the division real quick. The last team on JJ's board, the Green Bay Packers. And we would love to see Aaron Rodgers get some additional help there. We have Devontae Adams, and then people are all over Jay Sternberger because obviously things have opened up there at the tight end position. But all last off season, if you look on Twitter, you look at league chats, whatever it is, everybody and Mitch, we even had a bet on who was gonna be yeah. the And I won. It's all the, that matters. The the I don't want to say dominant, but the wide receiver two that really showed up. And the answer was none of the above. You know, we looked at Geronimo Allison, MVS, uh, Jake Kumaro, and they are in dire need of an additional wide receiver to help out Devontae Adams there. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually think that there's a decent chance, you know, I, after taking a step back and looking at this more and, and thinking about it more, like I I'd, I'd, I'd would put Minnesota ahead of Green Bay for sure. Um, and I actually think just reading between the lines and seeing the usage at the end of last year, I think they like Alan Lazard more than we think that they like him. They use him a lot, uh, even in the playoffs, he was playing when, when he wasn't hurt. Uh, he was playing like a 90% snap rate. I mean, he was getting up there and, and playing time. Uh, he started seeing his target share rise a little bit. Uh, so I wouldn't be shocked if they don't spend that early round that I think they're what 30th overall pick in, in this draft. But I think that the, it's like a, a prime spot for a Denzel Mims. I mean, I, I can't even, I mean, that's just, it's, it's a perfect fit. It's a perfect spot in the draft to get someone like that. So I, I could see that sort of move uh, for the Packers, but um, yeah, I mean, think, looking at it more, I mean, I should have probably just gone Minnesota there, but I'm glad that I put green Bay just so we can have a talking point. And, you know, especially in Green Bay, it seems like Aaron Rodgers, his preference and what he wants, you know, maybe not so much with Matt LaFleur as Mike McCarthy, but it does carry a lot of weight. So he's had nothing but great things to say about Alan Lazard in the past, and we saw his increased usage towards the end of last season. So I do think that maybe we see a little bit more from Lazard, but if if Mims would go to the Packers at 30th overall, you know that hype train. And it's if you look at Twitter, you can't go – more than maybe five tweets without seeing a, a pro Denzel Mims tweet, it would probably increase there if he goes to the Packers. Yeah. I mean, the other thing too, to, to keep in mind, you know, with the, the, them not taking a wide receiver last year, you know, I think that we get a lot of arrogance with new coaching staffs, uh, you know, them, them thinking that they can work around deficiencies and that it's, you know, it's not that big of a deal because they have Aaron Rodgers. but when they actually implement their system and they see, that player struggle, you know, they see Aaron Rodgers struggle to, to Aaron Rodgers levels, uh, you know, in the context of Aaron Rodgers levels. Um, that's when maybe, you know, the light bulb bulb goes off and they say, well, maybe we should have invested in the wide receiver. Maybe we should have done something at the wide receiver position because that was a huge, huge issue for them all season long. Um, so if they see, you know, if they saw that 
uh, that's that's one of the main reasons I could see them then going at, at that first round pick and getting a wide out. Especially when Devontae Adams went down last year, Aaron Jones got like 38 targets a game or yeah. something absurd. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a team that we certainly want to see invest in a wide receiver. But again, just like we talked about, I'm going to throw it back up here. The Raiders, Niners, Vikings, Eagles, <clears throat> Mitch changes mind on them. And then, you know, the Jets and the Packers. So teams that we want to see invest in wide receiver that would be prime landing spots for one reason or another. Now to close out the show, and this is to appease Dan because he's been getting on me. JB, get this segment back again because he, he liked it. So I try to make Dan happy here because when Dan gets grumpy, it's not good for anybody. So what we're going to do here, I'm going to throw up a few running backs here. And I want you guys to tell me, and we'll start with Dan, and then we'll go JJ, and we'll go Mitch for both of these. First one's running backs. Next one is wide receivers. You guys have not had the luxury of seeing these guys. So it's very impromptu. So I'm going to throw three running backs up on the board with their current dynasty ADP. And I want you to tell me who is going to lose the most value as a result of the NFL draft. So basically who do you think invests in a running back the earliest out of these three teams? All right, you guys ready? Dan, we're starting with you. Shoot, man. There we go. So we have Marlon Mack at running back 26, carry on Johnson at running back 21 and Chris Carson at running back 30. So Dan, and we'll say 30 seconds, but I know you're not going to push the envelope. Which of these three running backs is going to lose the most value, dynasty value, as a result of the NFL draft? I'll go, and this isn't an easy one, because I think all three of these are going to be firm in their jobs this season. But when you had us do our homework this week, and I'm breaking down you know, scenarios, Seattle was on kind of the far end of my list, picking 64th overall. They would be the one of these three teams that if they do have concerns about Carson's health, if they're not sold on Penny, they would be the team to draft or run it back. So I say Chris Carson out of the three of them would be the one to lend itself to lose some value. All right. JJ, what are your thoughts? I'm going to go with carry on Johnson. Uh, I, I actually talked about this on my podcast about two months ago uh, where someone asked me what, what a low key spot or, you know, a low key team that could be drafting a running back early. And my two answers were the Steelers and the Lions. Uh, the main reason for, the, you know, we're seeing rumors with the Steelers now, but the main reason with the Lions is I'm really, you know, I love carry on. I think carry on Johnson's a great running back. And if, if I were running the Lions, I would be throwing Johnson. You know, I would let him be my workhorse. Uh, but my fear is that the team doesn't see him that way. When, when we, he's been injured his first two seasons, both years. Uh, and last year, when they finally started making him the work, our true workhorse in that offense, after three games of being a workhorse, he got hurt. Uh, and I think eventually you have the reliability issues. Um, then on top of that, you have you have carry on as a as a, what RB twenty one overall is that what it was? Yep. So so there's more to lose there. You know, there, there's there's an easier path for him to drop. You know, if you look at Marlon Mack, I think he's the safest of the three. Mack, uh, just because of the way that the, the Colts are built um, and the way that that front office thinks. Um, and we've seen also, I think Marlon Mack is very, very good, a very serviceable back for the most part. Um, so I, I, I would agree with Dan that Carson, there's there's some some uh, some risk there. And I, but I think that that's more of an injury related risk, whereas the carry on Johnson one is is much more philosophical in the way that they feel about him as a, as a player and being able to handle that workload. Now, like I said, we try to keep it to 30 seconds, but I couldn't meet you, JJ. You, you know, you I are completely, I was, I was I gonna let you forgot. run for an hour if you wanted to. I completely so, forgot. No, 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 I'm just giving you a hard time. But <laughs> you points. did, you know, you talked about Mac being the safest option. Do you have any concerns longer term? I know earlier, and I, I say earlier in the offseason, we're only sitting here March 30th, 
But early in the offseason, there were rumors, oh, the Colts are looking to extend Marlon Mack. And then they came out and said, no, 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 you know, we haven't looked to extend him yet. Is there any concern with that from a longer term perspective with Marlon Mack? I, I can't say that there is because there's concern for that for any running back in the NFL. You know, I, I, I just, I, I can't put a lot of stock in something like that. And then I think Phillip rivers is a massive, massive upgrade from Marlon Mack in particular of all players. You know, he had one of the most on, he, he had fr- from a routes run perspective last season versus how many targets a, a running back actually got. He was fourth in the NFL and should have had more targets at the running back position. Uh, so I, I really like Marlon Mack this season with Phillip rivers. I think he's in a great spot. And his overall target share, I think it was like one percent or something. It was, it was, or, tiny. It was like five or six. Yeah. Five. Yeah. As I said, I was like, "Oh, one percent is too small." But yeah, it was extremely small. And then Mitch, I'm going to bounce it over to you. But Bill here says Mitch better agree. I, I'm assuming that you also have carry on as the biggest loser here. Yeah, Bill knows. We've talked about it before, but it's carry on. I don't think he's even being drafted as running back 21 anymore in my recent startups. He's more 25, 26. And the Lions don't have anyone behind him right now. They're going to draft someone, and that is just going to make his value drop because as soon as we see someone drafted, we see the starting running back drop. doesn't matter who it is. And so I definitely see carry on as the one that's going to be dropping down the most. Especially no love for both Scarborough. Neither of right. you guys. Yeah. Dan, you can push I actually, I was, I'm in a deep startup right now, and I actually took Bo in like the 29th round or something. Mm-hmm. And I thought about you because I know you trust Bo. Um, all right, guys, let's go to the wide receivers here and same order. We're going to go Dan, JJ, and Mitch, which of these wide receivers is going to lose the most value. And one of them we already kind of talked about tonight, but all right, Dan, you ready? T.Y. Hilton at wide receiver 39 and then Adam Thielen at wide receiver 33, two teams that I think could potentially look to invest in wide receiver here in the draft. Who loses the most value? I see both of these guys have healthy in line for very good seasons. So I don't think that either is going to lose much value, but you're putting me on the spot. I'll say Adam Thielen only because, you know, they're high in the list to get somebody. And I think, you know, instead of him having to get a hundred gazillion targets, because there's no one else to throw to, if they get somebody with their first round pick, you know, a Denzel Mims in there, they'll at least have some other targets. So by default, I'll say Adam Thielen, but I think they're both in line for good seasons. And this was tough because for these two, obviously, they're they're reaching that age 30, 31 season. And in Dynasty, again, they might as well have one foot in the grave whenever you're looking at startups and you look at people's perspective there. But JJ, who do you think loses more value this season because of the draft? T.Y. Hilton or Adam Thielen? Yeah, I agree with Dan. Uh, I think it's Thielen for for the for the same reasons that he said. I mean, they, they have the higher probability of getting that earlier round wide receiver. Um, and when you see that impact, it's just going to be obvious. Then on top of that, uh, Thielen's listed ahead of, of, of Hilton from a, from an ADP standpoint. So there's more for him to drop. It's an easier path for him to drop. Uh, so I'm going to go with him, but I think they're both decent values right now, to be honest, just given, given where their ADP is at. Especially if you're in an existing league and you're a win now team, you can get both of them at quite a discount. And then Mitch, is it also Adam Thielen for you? I'll agree with Thielen just because I do think his value is going to drop, but he is my favorite. He's my favorite late round wide receiver to get now because I think he has actual top 10 upside this year. Yeah. And I think he had top 10 upside pretty much every year for, you know, the last couple of years, but right. It's injuries not going away around. just because they draft a rookie. Right. Okay. Well, so the running backs were okay, but apparently by wide receivers, I have to, I have to pick it up a little bit on my end and give you guys something a little bit more challenging, but don't worry, uh, Dan, next time we run that segment, I'll, I'll work the kinks out. I'll bust um, you after the show. 
<laughs> uh, JJ, you know, we had you on last year. We talked a lot about regression last year. And obviously with the NFL draft approaching, we want to spend a lot of time on that. But as always, we, you know, fantastic guests, love having you on, you know, our interactions on Twitter. You know, what are you working on? Again, if you're living under a rock and you haven't listened to the late round QB podcast, living the stream, um, you know, why don't you let our listeners know where to find you and what you're working on this off season? Uh, yeah, so I'm, you know, a lot of my written content uh, is going to be over on numberfire.com. Uh, but a lot of what I work on and, and sort of my baby is the late round podcast. So I do a couple of those every week, doing a lot of draft episodes, talking about models that I've built and, and such to to really extract the most value out of your rookie drafts. Um, so yeah, it's the late round podcast. And again, I'm sure unless somebody's living under a rock, they've already listened to it. And before we jumped on Dan, he was already kind of commending you and We've all talked about this, you know, on separate occasions, but the length that you have, what is it? 15, 20 minutes max. It's perfect for a commute, even though not many people are commuting these days, but it is the perfect length. And eventually maybe I'll stop rambling as much as I do. And we'll get down to maybe close (laughs) to 20 minutes, but, but we'll see. But again, uh, JJ, absolute blast and a wealth of fantasy football knowledge. So thank you for joining us. We want to thank everybody for tuning in. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Dynasty Theory FF. Have a great night and stay safe.